welcome to Elder Health Connection, a podcast where I gather innovators in elder health care to discuss their unique perspectives on caregiving and care receiving. My name is Caroline Morris, and I use my combined experience in biochemistry, physical therapy, health coaching, and growing up next door to my grandparents to dig deep into the complexities of aging and then draw out practical solutions that can fit into your life. I record this show from my home in Alexandria, Virginia, sometimes with the input from my dogs, Vinny and Barry. Thank you for joining us today. Today, I'm honored to introduce you to Nicholas Faff of Proactivity. Nick leads Proactivity's resident data management team, utilizing his background from Cornell Engineering to harness data and analytics that drives Proactivity's results-focused services. Nick joined the Proactivity team in 2005, became a partner in 2013, and has been involved in service delivery and management throughout all of Proactivity services. A former Division I college wrestler and sprint football player, Nick also utilizes his sports performance background as a trainer, corrective exercise specialist, and corporate injury and disease prevention consultant to keep a client in the game and performing at their best. Hobbies include trail running, followed by a pint from a local craft brewery. Nick has been instrumental in getting my own health data service up and running and introducing me to this world. I can't wait for you to learn more from him. Hi, Nick. Welcome. Hi, Caroline. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so great to have you here. So I'd just like to start off with the story of how I met you so our listeners know that piece of background. So last summer, I was starting my health coaching certification program and learned about these devices that can track a person's stress. And I was immediately intrigued by that um, and learned that there was a study going on with PTs looking at this technology. So I enrolled right away and then came to know you because it turned out you were the one who created the platform for this study to happen. And a lot of things I usually research pretty in depth before deciding to buy or use. Um, But when I went back and looked at our time together, I think I got my device on July 1st, and I had signed up to be a provider August 20th. So it was a very fast turnaround. I saw the value right away in what you were doing. Can you tell us a little bit about you, about the work you do for Proactivity and for other providers? Yeah, sure. So I've been with Proactivity going on 17 years now. And Proactivity started as a traditional physical therapy company and is over the years kind of expanded into more wellness, health promotion, injury and disease prevention um, and different things like that. And and we work with um, employer clients uh, specifically in like the utility uh, utility industry. And um, so my background was actually in electrical engineering. Um, And so when I came to Proactivity, and uh, everything that we do is, is typically kind of data-centric or data-forward and research-based. Um, it was kind of a natural fit for me to fall kind of more into the data analytics side of what we do. You know, so I kind of took over and spearheaded that 
division. And that's kind of where um, the scissors platform was born from. Um, you know, I guess it all kind of started, we were working with, um, you know, one of our employer clients and uh, we were trying to assess the workload, you know, that these people were undergoing in an effort to try to reduce risk of injury. You know, so these guys are typically, um, you know, out uh, working, doing uh, very physical work, um, you know, some days hard, some days lighter. And so, you know, we are trying to understand, you know, kind of how hard was the day to day. Um, and we can measure that through the devices, um, you know, as you know, uh, with steps, with intensity minutes, looking at their heart rate throughout the day. And it kind of gives us an idea of how hard they were working, um, but also how their body was responding to it. So someone who's very fit, um, you know, they could respond to that hard workload well, you know, and then we can push and they could be pushed harder before it, it, it's at risk. So that's measured on the device through, as you said, the stress score and through the body battery, which gives us an idea of, you know, how people are managing it. So anyway, we, we slapped these devices on people um, and we didn't have any way of aggregating the data. So I had to manually look at each person's data one by one, copy that information over into a spreadsheet and then run some kind of analytics to understand, um, you know, were there any correlations and you know, where was their opportunity to, to help, you know, with this specific problem. From there, you know, we kind of just, you know, took it to the next level. And that's where the scissor system was born from, because that was the solution to our problem, which was um, we created this dashboard that the data from the watches automatically fed into the dashboard. Uh, I was able to look at um, a snapshot of all my people. Uh, I was able to aggregate the data quickly. And then I was also able to filter it pretty easy down by each individual if needed. So that's kind of where, um, you know, a little bit about my background and where the system came from. Yeah, that's great. So what I'm picking up is you really solved several layers of problems of one, looking at people in their work environment where there were physical demands. And I, I take it there were injuries happening if you were brought in. From time to time, you know, and some of them accidents, you know, which are harder to prevent. Some of them are just overuse, you know, injuries. And that's really where we were asked to interject some of our expertise. Great. And then you provided them with a device so that both the workers themselves and you could monitor what their bodies were doing and then moved into the scissors platform to make it a much more efficient task for you. Yeah, so, you know, that's kind of where it started. As you said, you got involved in the PT health study. Sometime along, along the line, um, you know, and it actually was way before COVID-19 um, came about, we realized through a couple of case studies that we were seeing drastic changes in the data, specifically the stress score, um, to the point where we thought the device was malfunctioning. And it turned out what was happening was... Um, People were infected with a virus of some sort. You know, usually it was a cold or a flu virus at that time. And it was causing these drastic changes in the data prior to symptoms. And usually it was about five days after we saw the changes in the data that finally we understood what was going on. And it was that this person was battling a virus. And so that's where the PT health study was born, was that we kind of realized that there was some opportunity here with everything, especially in the early stages of COVID-19 and detection and you know, quarantining and trying to get people away from others as quickly as possible. 
we thought there was some opportunity there. So that's kind of where that came from. And that was the kind of the next stage. Yeah. And it's fascinating how much our bodies are working kind of under the surface before symptoms even appear. And I think that helps to explain why people can be asymptomatic with any virus or disease, but still be highly contagious with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and not just that, but I mean, when we look at anything that impacts the physiology of the body, um, you know, there are many things that people do in their day-to-day lives that, you know, they think they're handling well, you know, and just like a, a fighting a virus that um, you don't have symptoms yet, let's say, you know, you're not sleeping well and you're saying, oh, I'm fine. But, you know, your body's physiology could be ramping up saying you're not really fine or the way you're eating or, um, you know, consuming alcoholic beverages or just being stressed in general or working too hard. Like all of those things show up. And, and really, that's where a lot of the value comes in, because sometimes you don't realize how those things are impacting you. Yeah, exactly. And I often hear from patients and clients that they feel like everything was going fine. And then all of a sudden they had a major event, like it could be a heart attack or a stroke, um, a fall or getting an unexpected diagnosis. And they hadn't seen anything beforehand, but what you're saying is using technology in this way may give us some ideas of what's going on under the surface. You know, and hopefully, um, you know, at least help with kind of early intervention on those things. Um, you know, can we identify them early? Um, or, you know, in the you know best case scenario, um, you know, finding ways to prevent these things from from even happening. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's kind of where we're at. Um, you know, now, you know, is is you know just seeing all the different applications um, that we can use it. So we have. Um, you know, dozens of providers such as yourself um, utilizing it, um, employers, as well as uh, research institutions who are, are using the dashboard, um, you know, really across the globe with, with hundreds of, you know, kind of diverse users, you know, so you have the industrial athletes I already talked about, um, you know, maternal health, uh, like I said, research in, in disease management, um, you know, athletes, um, and healthy aging populations, really a- across the spectrum, um, you know, we're finding people are using this and in, in, in really helping to solve problems that, that are helping getting their individual users closer to their goals. Mm-hmm. So one question I hear a lot is how, how does the watch know that something's about to happen or something bad could happen and how can it know you know, all these different things, a virus or bad nutrition or overtraining. Um, Can you speak to that piece of it, how it knows and how we interpret it? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's a number of different metrics that it measures. I mean, at the simplest form, um, you know, it measures steps in movement. You know, that's kind of one. Um, You know, when someone's getting run down or they're not feeling well, they'll typically move less move less. And so we'll see some kind of drastic changes in someone's movement or exercise or step data. Um, The other side, we start to look at, um, you know, heart rate and what's going on with the heart rate. And, um, 
you know, there's some pretty solid research out there that just shows even just looking at resting heart rate, you know, so how low your heart rate goes when you're just kind of sitting around doing nothing. Usually the uh, devices will capture that resting heart rate while we're sleeping. And when we see, you know, for all these metrics, we develop a baseline for each individual, you know, so my heart rate may not be the same as yours. And so once we develop our baseline, what the system looks like is my heart rate's usually here. And if we see that blip, all of a sudden we see the heart rate start to go up, you know, we may start to kind of ask some questions. Um, so heart rate is another one that's very simple. Um, one that's a little less popular or kind of known about is called heart rate variability. Um, and it's this idea that, you know, our heart rate doesn't really just beat on a steady pattern. Um, that on a kind of small level, there's micro differences between the heartbeats. And you know, we're talking microseconds, un undetectable. Um, from us, uh, but the devices can detect it. And when that heart rate variability is high, you know, it tends to be that we're in a state of kind of relaxation or rest. Um, when heart rate variability is low, when our heart rate does become very steady, it's really a sign that our body is kind of in a state of stress or um, fight or fight or flight, um, you know, state. Um, for those who are kind of in the medical field, know it as the autonomic nervous system and the parasympathetic versus sympathetic um, you know, nervous system. So that may be getting too far into it, but the device is essentially looking at those, you know, those metrics all the time. And as I said, our, our system really develops baselines for everybody and begins to look at deviations from, from that. And it's looking at movement and heart rate, as well as a couple of other metrics such as um, you know, pulse ox, which is oxygen in the blood. Um, you know, and, and exercise um, and sleep metrics as well. Yeah, thank you for explaining that. I think the heart rate variability is what is the most exciting for me because it can give us real-time information into how stressed or relaxed we are. Because sometimes we just don't know. There have been days that I thought have been perfectly normal days and I go back and look at my data and I'm like, what happened? What happened today? Yeah. Um, and then even just myself as the user, starting to ask myself questions of what really did happen today. And sometimes it was eating food that had was probably past its prime. And sometimes it was being on Zoom all day. I've noticed for me can stress me out. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's really kind of an early warning system. You know, like you said, usually you start to see changes in the heart rate variability prior to the symptoms. It could be symptoms of viral infection. It could just be symptoms of fatigue. You know, I'm getting run down or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. I'm, my energy is low. Um, but typically the heart rate variability will show up first. And then if we can tap into that and, and do something about it when we see those changes, maybe we can minimize the impact of those symptoms. Um, you know, so for example, you know, the case I used before about the catching a cold and, and the, we thought the watch was broken. Once we learned about that, so we started saying like, okay, once we see the data going funky, make sure you get extra sleep, like don't overdo it in your exercise, like start eating right. And what we found was that, you know, um, the sickness, the length of sickness was, was shortened. Now that could, you know, totally be coincidental, but, you know, whereas usually maybe you're sick for a week or two weeks, um, we were able to get uh, those individuals kind of over that sickness in, in two to three days instead. Yeah, that's amazing. 
And I know it can be tough when you start feeling run down to the decision to just push through or to rest and hope that that pays off in the long run. And I know the longer I've gotten into my working career, the more I've realized I should just take the one day off and recover versus pushing through and then needing a week off later yeah. on. <laughs> I've also often explained the scissors platform as a recovery coaching tool, um, you know, cause really ultimately that's kind of what it, a lot of it leads to. Um, and I would say culturally, I don't know if it's an American thing or just a worldwide thing at this point, but we have a recovery problem, you know, uh, being a good recoverer is not something that's celebrated often, you know, it's what's celebrated yeah. is being someone who works hard and, and grinds and all those buzzwords um, that you hear all the time. And if you walk into a room like, well, I'm a really good recoverer, um, you're often not going to get celebrated. But yeah. what we know more and more is that people who recover better, like perform better, you know, and are healthier and uh, are happier and, you know, all of those things. So it's an important piece of the overall health picture. Yeah, absolutely. And I know for a lot of my older clients, there's often a question of how much to push, how much is safe to push given their either any diseases they may have or conditions they have also knowing that exercise is important. So it's been helpful in that sense to help guide, you know, how much can your body handle this day? Um, and also there's often a culture of, well, I've pushed through everything my entire life and that's worked for me. Why isn't it working now? Yeah. 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 That's just it. You know, this kind of gives us some, some insight into when is it time to push and when is it time to recover, you know, because as you mentioned, sometimes we do have to push a little bit, but sometimes we do have to back off. Um, you know, one other interesting, you know, kind of story is, you know, the system is also looking at, um, is, is being used in a research study looking at, um, you know, a disease process that historically it was just assumed that like these people should not exercise. Exercise is bad for them. It will make them worse. It could be potentially dangerous. Um, you know, but there is some research going on saying like, well, what if we tried a little bit in introducing it? And so the, um, to your point, the system is being used to monitor how the people are responding to exercise. So they exercise a little bit, how did they respond? You know, are they still good or is their body showing signs of overdoing it? And so, you know, we're, they're really looking to try to kind of almost reverse, you know, kind of historically common knowledge with, with this disease process um, using the feedback from the system and from the devices. So mm -hmm. it's pretty cool and it can be used in a, in a number of different ways. Yeah, there's so much, as much as we don't like to admit it, there's so much guesswork in healthcare and trial and error. And I think this process gives a lot more um, information and it speeds up the trial and error process too. You know, we do try things, but we get more immediate feedback and make changes more quickly. There's a lot of opportunity there as well. Yeah. For sure. What are some things that have really surprised you along the way? That's a tough question. Um, I don't know if it really surprises me, but I just, I really love when um, we see a user who kind of gets it that I don't know if they don't really believe that these things can work when they first put put the device on their wrist 
And then all of a sudden something happens to where the device knows something that only they knew. And, you know, you kind of, as a coach or something kind of says like, hey, you know, I, I noticed this happened in your data. And, you know, all of a sudden the light bulb goes on and they're kind of like, oh, wow, like this stuff actually does work. Um, so I guess, um, I don't know if that surprises me so much as, um, you know, it's just really cool to see when that, when light, that light bulb goes off. Um, and it happens almost every time, you know, it, the system is, is constantly turning kind of non-believers into believers that like, oh, wow, like um, my body works a certain way and I can't trick it, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, so that's, that's about all I would say there. Okay. Um, and where do you see this really changing or revolutionizing healthcare as we know it? Yeah, so that's a good question because there's a lot of potential in that area. And um, this could geek out a little bit on the engineering side of things for you. So stop me if I'm going too far (laughs) into it. But, you know, the more times we see, so just take, for example, someone with COVID and we see their data, um, you know, with, uh, you know, machine learning algorithms and, you know, people will hear the term artificial intelligence, and that's essentially what it is. Um, The computer systems will begin to recognize these very set patterns before even humans can recognize them. And um, we'll be able to predict these things even more. Um, That's kind of my hope with kind of injury prevention where this all started is, you know, are there cues that if we can, you know, kind of pick up on these things ahead of time, then we can change the course of the future, you know, by just changing someone's actions, saying, hey, your your pattern that we're seeing leads to injury 90% of the time. What we need you to do is to focus on some recovery for the next 48 hours. And we've seen that that then reduces the likelihood of injury down to 10%. I'm just making up numbers, but that's ultimately the power of what a system um, like this can do when we get enough data um, and, and the computer sees the same patterns enough times. That would be so exciting to be able to speak with that sort of confidence and specificity to the individual user um, and not just the group. Yeah. Yeah. And one other thing I want to add, which I don't know if this kind of goes along with it, but I think one of the big differences between what we're doing with the scissors system and what a lot of other of the wearable devices are doing is, um, you know, we really put it as a provider-centric system, um, meaning that it's a system that the end user, the person who's wearing the watch, is it's a communication platform for them with a healthcare provider, you know, someone who can help them interpret not only the data, but how the data is impacting their health overall. You know, a lot of, you know, these devices, so let's say an Apple Watch or something, you know, you'll get alerts on your data, you know, your watch will recognize some pattern as I was talking about before, and your watch will tell you some bit of information, um, you know, but the watch really doesn't have the full context of, of you, the person, and your medical history, and you know all the different variables that can be going on. Whereas you know the human provider, you know, can really take all those things into consideration, and that's really where we think the opportunity with this lies. Is you know, yeah, making the tech as good as it can be to where you know the computer can can predict things. 
but not just sending that directly to the person, you know, using that with a, um, a healthcare provider to help make the, the best kind of healthcare decisions for the individual. So are you the only group that you know of using healthcare providers in this way? At this point, I think so. Yeah. You know, there are other, um, I think, you know, other devices who may be, you know, kind of pushing information to maybe some, you know, more in the kind of the athletic performance realm um, to kind of coaches and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but maybe not necessarily kind of healthcare providers who, really understand, you know, in a deep way, you know, all the impacts of kind of like, not just performance and and exercise, but also just health, you know, in general and red flags and and being able to screen for those things as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that's exciting for me as a provider is how accessible you are to me and how much the provider's have helped to create the system. Like you keep creating new things for us based on what we ask you for. And that's been very exciting for me. I mean, I guess that's part of the uh, benefit of working with, you know, I guess a, a smaller kind of tech, you know, um, company or a smaller tech product is that we really rely on our users to, to help us refine this and make it better. And so we're really in that kind of that stage of, um, how can our system be changed? Um, what can what can what do we need to do to be able to better solve the problems that our users are having? Um, and so, yeah, we're we're constantly evolving and trying to make this thing better and better. Yeah, you all do amazing work. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> appreciate it. All right. And thank you for being a user for us and um, you know really helping us to to make this better and push it forward. Oh, of course. Edge. Yeah, it's so exciting. I love um, anytime we can use technology to help us connect with our own bodies better. So it's really, to me, an awareness tool and in some ways a mindfulness tool to be able to pause and reflect on what's going on inside and make a more informed decision. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. All right. So just a few closing questions for you, Nick. What what does health mean to you? So we used to ask this question and, um, you know, we used to ask, you know, what is health and is it merely the absence of disease? Um, you know, so if I'm not sick, then am I healthy? And ultimately the answer for us was, was no, like um, the absence of disease is not health. There, there are then tiers of health beyond that. And ultimately, you know, it's, you know, about, you know, being able to do the things that uh, you want to do and being able to achieve the highest quality of life. Um, you know, so there's, you know, the absence of disease, but then there's, um, you know, I'm in a state where, um, you know, my body, uh, my mind, you know, and, and kind of spiritually, um, I'm functioning kind of on all, all cylinders and really able to get the most out of in my life, um, ultimately. Yeah. That's such a great definition and very similar to the um, World Health Organization view, not merely the absence of disease. Yeah. And then we've hinted at it a few times, this idea of connection, um, where you are literally connecting the data and the people with healthcare providers 
the app that Garmin uses is called Connect. Um, and I know in Proactivity's model, connection is one of the elements of health. So can you tell me a little bit more about what connection means to you and why you think it's important for health? Yeah, I mean, you know, humans are social creatures, you know, at, at the heart of it. Um, you know, oftentimes we think that, you know, if we didn't have all these other people creating all these problems for us, somehow we'd be better off. But what we know is that at the root of it, we're social creatures. We we connect with one another. We need that to thrive. And so it tries to break down barriers. You know, it's so interesting. You know, we feel like we're more connected with all the technology that we have. And in many ways, you know, that's exactly what this technology is trying to do. You know, but there still needs to be kind of that, that human element to it all. So it's just so interesting, you know, when you look at the research about uh, people who are you know, what they may consider well-connected and which means, you know, just their social network, uh, friends, family, coworkers, and, you know, how impactful that is on their health and that the absence of those, those people can really be, um, hazardous to someone's health. So, um, you know, it's really just person to person, you know, connection and just, um, you know, helping facilitate, you know, those, those real human interactions. Yeah, that's so important. And then last question for you, what are some support systems that you have in place that help you to do your work? I think there's this myth that we all do it alone, that we're all self-starters and completely independent, but we really rely on each other for a lot. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, um, you know, I, my coworkers, you know, couldn't do it without them. We have an incredible team, you know, we're all working together and within our company, there's very little hierarchy. You know, it's, you know, the, the person who's just been hired has the same access to the person who founded the company as anybody else, you know? So, you know, having a, a really strongly integrated team, you know, is key. You know, I don't think anybody can do what they do if, if they're, you know, trying to really make a difference without the support of their kind of family in the background. Everybody needs that. So, I mean, that was ultimately are the support systems that, you know, I have and I rely on and wouldn't be able to be successful without. Yeah. It's so important to be able to have that really solid work environment where you all are supporting each other. And then also the home environment where you can go home to recover <laughs> as well. Yeah. yeah. Any final words for us, Nick? You know, I don't think so. I, you know, I kind of sign off every email and kind of every time I, I leave someone with just the this, this simple, I think we may have the same email signature, just yeah. be well. Right? Yeah. I think <laughs> you know? I stole it from you. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's just be yeah. well. It just means so many things and then, yeah. you know, depending on the situation, but you know, that's all I'd say to, to you and to all the listeners, just uh, go out there, be well. You know, every choice we make on our day-to-day -day basis is, is a choice that's helping us either be more well or less well. I try to encourage people to, to help make those choices that help them make be more well. So I would end with be well. Thank you. Is there anywhere you'd like to send people to contact you if they have any questions? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, uh, information about, um, you know, the scissors system, 
Um, you know, that's www.scissors, which is C-I-S-R-S dot org. Um, it's probably really the best way. And, and, you know, all of our contact information is on there, whether it be reaching out to me directly, you know, or just con- contacting or our company or learning more about the system and what we're doing. Great. And there'll be a link to that in the show notes. Sounds good. All right. Thank you so much, Nick, for your time and for your work um, making this all possible for us. Problem. And thank you so much for having me on, Caroline. I appreciate it. All right. Take care and be well. If you would like to learn more about monitoring your health data with me, please visit carolinemorris.com slash health insights. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and does not create a provider-patient relationship between us. If you have questions about your health, please speak to a qualified health professional. If you would like to learn more about working with me as your qualified health professional, please visit carolinemorris.com. Did you know that gratitude is good for your health? If you found value in this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a rating or review. To keep the connection going, subscribe to Elder Health Connection on your favorite podcast player to get immediate access to upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening. With love and gratitude, Caroline.